Good morning. Can you just sense that this is going to be one of those Sundays, <laughs> those powerful Sundays that God shows up and, and does something amazing? Uh, I believe it is. I believe it really is. If you have your Bibles with you, open to Romans 13 again. And while you're doing that, let me just say that um, what happened Friday night, I guess, was the biggest natural disaster to come to Palestine since the tornado that came through back in the 80s. And, um, you know, it's, it's a bad thing. There are a lot of people suffering and hurting. There are several in our church family that aren't able to be here with us this morning because of issues at their house because of that. But, you know, anytime, anything to us that, that always looks bad, and even if it is bad, to a sovereign God who controls all things, they are opportunities. And what happened Friday night and the condition that our community is in right now, it is an opportunity for God to be glorified through his people in ways that this town hasn't seen in a long time. And so I would encourage you to find out how you can help, how you can be the hands and feet of Jesus at this time, a time where people need to see the love of God in action. I know some of you have already, are already doing that. I mean, I was just blown away and so encouraged by the, just the attitude that some of you had and just wanting so bad to get involved and help people out in some way, and that is just a great thing to, to see. So um, let's continue doing that. Um, doing that, we will be able to be living out what this text here in Romans says that we're about to look at. And uh, so picking up where we left off, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10. So let's stand together as we receive the word of the Lord this morning. <clears throat> Paul says, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's pray. Lord, your word is true and good and right and powerful. And I pray that the power contained in your word would work in us in supernatural ways. God, I thank you that today, for somebody, this is going to be the day that, the day that everything changed for them. God, I thank you for the freedom that people in here are going to be experiencing once they walk out of these doors this morning. I thank you for the clarity with which people will be able to see everything in the life around them because the deception and the lies has been eroded by your truth. Jesus, we give you all praise and all glory. In your name, amen. Well, where we are in Romans right now really reflects where we are in life right now. The first 11 chapters of Romans focus mainly on God's love for us in Jesus. And then we saw how uh, Paul kind of takes a turn and transitions things in, in chapter 12 to God's saving work in us. And this is exactly where you and I are in our Christian life right now. 
The great work that Jesus did for us is something that happened in the past. And the great work because of that that he is doing now in us is what is happening now in the present. But you can't have one without the other. The present work that God does now is based on and because of the work that he did through Jesus. So we could say that Romans 1 through 11 displays the love of God to us through Jesus. And Romans 12 through 16 displays the effect of that love as we then love others. As I began preparing the message from this text, the more I studied, the more I really sensed the Holy Spirit going, whoa, wait, wait just a minute, Jason. And he brought to my realization the fact that this message that I was preparing on, on this text, if I was to continue and present it to you this morning, that it was going to be running into a lot of resistance not running up against resistance in the sense that you are going to be disagreeing with the things that I said, but running up against the resistance of some of the, the walls that some of us have built around ourselves, the walls that, that so many of us live from behind. It is a wall that has been built around you that keeps you from fully being able to see and receive the amazing love that God has for you. It's a wall that has been built brick by brick by things like rejection and lies and hurt and more of Satan lies that we continue to buy into. And it's not that you don't believe God's love is true. I mean, you believe in his love with all your heart, but you believe that it exists for others a whole lot more than you're able to believe that it exists for you. You believe his love is true, just not necessarily for you. And here's the sad truth about that, and it's the first point if you're following along in the notes. If you can't receive God's love for you, then you'll never be able to extend that love to others. If you have tra- trouble grasping God's amazing love for you, then I'm going to tell you right now, you are going to have a problem with the rest of this Roman series. Because from chapter 12 on, Paul is telling us how to dispense the love that we have through chapters 1 through 11, the love that is now ours in Christ. And for those of you who do know that love and it has completely captivated you and is what you live from, you're going to find a tremendous amount of joy in the words of these last chapters. But for those who can't seem to grasp God's amazing love for you, the rest of this letter is going to be more of a drudgery to you than it will be a joy. It will be to you more like words of law rather than words of life. My son, Braden, for his birthday one year, he wanted a a BB gun pistol. He already had the rifle and pretty much mastered that, but he now wanted a pistol, something a little more challenging. And and so I got him one, and it was not an airsoft gun, but shot, you know, BBs with those air cartridges that you put in it. Pretty powerful. It was a dangerous little gun. 
And as soon as he got it, he was so excited about it, didn't think about any of his other presents. He just immediately wanted to go outside and start shooting the BBs because he also got one of those big old cartons of BBs that go with it. And so he wanted to go shoot it. And I said, well, hang on just a minute. You can't just go out there and start shooting it wherever you want to. He said, come here, I want to show you something. And I showed him some targets that I had set up. And showed him specifically what he could shoot that gun at and, and the direction that he could shoot it in to be safe. And he was so excited when he saw those targets out there because he saw this as finally an opportunity for him to have fun with his gun. Something that he could aim it at um, and, and have permission to be able to shoot it. It was an opportunity for him to do something that he had been so looking looked forward to doing. Of course, that, that's why he wanted that. I mean, he didn't want the gun and the carton of BBs just to set them up on his shelf to admire. The reason why you buy a big box of BBs is so that you can get rid of those BBs as fast as possible, but to do it in, in a very fun way. But what if we didn't get him that? BB gun pistol, and we had got him something else, and, but I went to him, and I said, come out here, come outside, Brady, and I want to show you something, and I took him outside, and I still showed him all these targets that I had set up. Do you think he'd be excited about those targets then? No, not at all. I mean, it would actually be pretty discouraging for him to see all those targets set up out there, and him to have nothing to shoot at them. This is a pretty good way to describe Romans the chapters 12 through chapter 16. For those who have been given the grace to be able to grasp just how long and high and deep and wide God's amazing love for you is, you know that it's something that is too good for you to keep to yourself. You've you got to let it out. I mean, you feel like you're going to explode on the inside if you don't release that love in some way. And so Romans 12 through 16 is Paul's way of setting up the targets for that and going, here's where you're going to aim that love. This is where you're going to find a lot of joy in releasing all this love that you have been given in Christ. Just like Braden found joy in seeing all those targets laid out there where he was going to be able to, to shoot his BB gun. There is joy in these verses for those who long to release the love that they have in Christ, but for those who can't seem to fully receive God's love or grasp how it can be possible for them, these words in these chapters are not going to be joyful at all. They're going to be downright discouraging. I don't have anything to shoot at those targets because I can't grasp God's love for me. And if that person I'm describing is you, first of all, I want you to know that this has nothing to do with your salvation. I'm not saying that you're not saved. I mean, you can very well believe that your only hope in being right with God is through his mercy in Jesus. You can have repented of your sin and received his forgiveness for your sin, but not fully be able to yet receive his love for you. And so this has nothing to do with salvation. It's just really understanding what your salvation truly means. And so what I sensed from the Holy Spirit as I was studying on this particular text here in Romans is that I felt like he really wanted me to address this wall 
more than he wanted me to flesh out the words in this text. I mean, if there are a lot of you in here who are struggling to grasp God's love for you, then whatever I point out in this text is just going to fall flat. I mean, you heard that saying, you know, I might as well be talking to a wall. That would literally be the case. I mean, if everybody has these walls that they put up, being not keep, or keeping them from being able to receive God's love, then these words are just going to bounce right off of that and not take hold in anybody. And so I want us to step away from Romans for a bit this morning, and I want us to look at a text in 2 Corinthians. So turn over there. It's just two books over from Romans. Go to Romans and take a right. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and it's a a passage that I'm sure that many of you are probably familiar with. 2 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Some of you have a, a Bible translation where verse 4 says, tearing down strongholds instead of fortresses. So it is this, this stronghold, this fortress, this wall that, that some of you hide behind that keeps you from receiving the love that God has for you in Christ and keeps you from seeing things uh, around you in life as they really are because it's hard to see things clearly when you're standing behind a wall. So how is this wall built in the first place? The next point, a stronghold is built with one thought on top of another, just like bricks being stacked up on one another to construct a wall in a stronghold. And this is why Paul started off Romans 12 the way he did. But before he tells us how to dispense the love that we have been given in Jesus, he first said that we need to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Our minds need to be renewed because they've been filled with all kinds of speculation instead of revelation. They have been filled with lofty ideas and lies that are completely opposed to the truth of God. They're raised up against the knowledge of God. Our minds are renewed when we take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ, which means the error that we have bought into is replaced with truth. And it says the weapons that we use to tear down these walls are not of the flesh. They are not physical weapons that we use because this stronghold that exists around us is not a physical structure. It is built on erroneous thoughts and lies, and the only way to combat error is to come against it with truth. And truth is not a set of correct information and ideals. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus. Stephen Covey, in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, tells a story of when he was riding on a train one day, and it was after he had had spent a long day, and he was wore out and stressed out, and was just looking forward to relaxing on that train ride while he read his newspaper. 
But he didn't get to relax very long because there were these three kids on the plane who kept running around him and bumping into him and acting all rambunctious. And it was really grating on his nerves. And he was just appalled at the behavior of these kids and wondering what kind of parent would just let their kids run wild in a train like that. And so he looked over at the man that he saw these kids come in with, who he assumed was their dad, and the dad was just kind of staring off into space, not even paying attention to the kids. And that made him even more irritated. And finally, he couldn't ignore them anymore, and he finally had to do something about it. And so he turned to the man, and he said, Sir, can you please do something about your kids? They are being very distracting, and I am unable to sit here and enjoy reading my paper. The man kind of snapped out of his daze, and he looked at him and was like, what? And he said, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. They know better than that. Kids, y'all come back over here. And he just apologized profusely, and he said, sir, I, I'm so sorry. He said, it's just that we, we just came from the hospital where their mother has been sick for a long time. And this morning, she passed away. He said, my kids are having a hard time um, knowing how to deal with this. He said, and I'm just at a loss right now trying to figure out how I'm going to have to raise these kids by myself. He said, but you're right. I'll tell them to calm down. They know better than doing that. Well, Stephen Covey immediately was like, no, no, I'm the one that needs to apologize. They're not bothering me at all. Just let them run around. It's, it's fine. I, I'm so sorry. I had no idea. You see, his attitude about the situation completely changed because he now saw the situation for what it really was. Before, he could only speculate about what was going on because he didn't have all the information. And so he speculated that these were disrespectful, disobedient children being raised by a disconnected, irresponsible father. If he had seen the situation from the beginning for what it was, he wouldn't ever have been bothered at all. But he didn't know the truth, and so he was left to speculate. And when the truth was revealed to him, it was that revelation of truth that completely changed everything. It changed how he saw the situation. It changed his attitude. It changed everything. That's the way that many of us live and process life. We're not able to see things for what they really are, and so we are left to speculate and come up with these lofty ideas that are completely void of truth. I want to show you an illustration of what I'm talking about so you can see how these strongholds, these fortresses, these walls are built. Danny's going to help me with this. But like any structure, it all starts with a foundation. And it's the same foundation that Paul laid in the first few chapters of Romans. It just simply says, I am flawed. And that is a true statement. Paul spent the first few parts of Romans just telling us just how flawed we, we really are. We are broken people marred by the effects of sin. And until you realize just how flawed you really are, you're never going to be able to see just how big God's love really is. 
But if I am flawed is a true statement, then there has to be a therefore. And what does it mean for me to be flawed? Well, what we tend to believe the most, what we tend to speculate is that if I am flawed, well, then that has to mean that I am less loved. And because everyone else around us is also very flawed, they will do things and say things that just reinforces this lie. A father who abandons his family, a mother who rejects her child, a a spouse who cheats, a boyfriend who breaks up, abuse, abandonment, uh, rejection. The more this lie is proven to be true, the more we, at least from our speculation, well, the more it hurts. And so we've got to do something about all this hurt that we keep experiencing. And so the best thing to do then is just close up. We've got to close up because we can't let people see our flaws. If people see my flaws, well, then I'm going to be loved even less. And so we close up and we put on our mask and pretend like everything is okay when it's really not. We're dying on the inside, but we can't let anybody know about it because if they see how flawed we are, then we're not going to be loved. Now from here, people will usually take this in one of two directions. For many, it will make them believe that they have to be more. They're flawed, they're less loved, they got to close up to hide those flaws, and then they've got to be more. Be more successful, make more money, work more, try harder. If they're involved in church, they're going to serve more and show up more and volunteer more. The more they show and the more that people can see that they are, the more that their flaws are hidden and the more, hopefully, that they'll be loved. And this lie is just built on the lie before it and the lie before it. It's just one lie that gets built on top of another like bricks being stacked on one another when building a wall. But for a person like this, more is never enough. So then they have to strive to be perfect. This is the perfectionist. Everything they do has to be perfect and they won't settle for anything less. Not only for themselves, but for those that are closest to them. Their spouse and their children... This is the parent who can't congratulate a good grade on a report card unless it's an A+. It's the dad who can't celebrate his child's victory on the baseball field because his son struck out in one of his at-bats. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't perfect. There's no grace for the mistakes and failures of their own lives, and so there's no grace for the mistakes and failures of Of others. This person can't receive God's love, and so they assume that the way God views them is the same way that they view everyone else, that they have to be perfect. 
And if they are flawed, God's not going to love them. And so they have to try more and be more and do more and strive for perfection just so God might at least just throw them some kind of blessing every now and then. And so their relationship with God turns into nothing but performance-based self-effort, striving for perfection. But this stuff has consequences. And now more than likely their kids are going to grow up... Viewing God the same way. Because most people relate to God the way that they relate to their fathers. And if their father was someone who would not allow their flaws to be shown, but was constantly pushing them and striving for perfection in order to maintain this sense of of something that wasn't there, then they're going to think that that's the way that God views them too. And it's just a sick cycle that just keeps on perpetuating this. Of course, trying to be perfect all the time is absolutely exhausting, and so eventually you got to find a way to relieve the stress and the guilt of this kind of lifestyle, and that's where they start heading down a slippery slope of addiction trying to medicate the pain. But not everyone responds to the lies by being a perfectionist. The other way that people tend to go is in the exact opposite direction. They become so hopeless And so discouraged that they just kind of shut down. They know that they can't fix their flaws. And so what's the use in trying? It's the thinking that if I'm already flawed, then so what if I become even more flawed? And so instead of trying to cover things up, it's like they're actually flaunting all their mistakes and failures. And so they live a lifestyle of sinful overindulgence. Instead of trying to be more, they just constantly settle for less. And they make excuses like, that's the best I can do. And excuses and then trying to blame everyone else and their self-loathing leads them down a very destructive path. And you know what's really sad? Is that in our society, we look down on that person, but we praise the perfectionist. We admire them for their strong work ethic and their standard of excellence Because, man, it sure does look good on the outside when in reality it's just a symptom of a wounded heart and a deceived mind. And then that praise just fuels their effort like dangling a carrot out in front of a horse that they're never going to be able to catch. And so this is how the wall is built, the stronghold is built that keeps us from being able to receive God's love. And as a result, then we are not able to love others in return. And like I said, from the behind the wall, you can't see things very clearly. I mean, if I'm living behind this wall here and I'm trying to view life in front of me and process, I can, I can see through this crack just a little bit. I can see a couple of you, but my view of the way things are, there's a lot of it I can't see. It's over things that I can't see. What am I left to do? Speculate and come up with these lofty ideas that are so far from truth. Our speculations hardly ever line up with truth. And eventually it may get to the point where the wall has such a negative effect on our life that we we know that we need to do something about it, but we don't completely tear the stronghold of the wall down because we really don't know how. 
And so to do the best thing that we can, and we try to manage this wall as best as we can. We may rearrange these bricks a little bit to try to act like we're doing something about it, and we're going to focus on all the outward behavior. We're going to address the symptoms, but never address the root, the heart, and the mind. The only way to combat the lies that this wall is built on is to come against it with truth. And this is why you will always hear me harping on the fact that we cannot deviate from the gospel and we've got to be preaching it to each other and to ourselves every day. And the gospel in a nutshell is Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you were sinful, flawed beyond any hope of repair, not once you got everything together, not based on how hard you tried, not because your intentions were good and not because you deserved it. Even though you are absolutely flawed, God loves you. He doesn't just tolerate you. He loves you madly. To say that you are flawed is actually a huge understatement. I mean, you're actually a dead, rotten, stinking corpse in light of God's holiness. And because of your rebellion and arrogance and the belittling of God's great name, what you deserved was the worst kind of punishment that an infinite God could possibly conceive of. But instead of getting what you deserved, you got what you didn't deserve, which is his grace and mercy because of his great love for you. And it was that love that awakened your dead spirit. And opened your eyes to the glories of Christ. And not only did he open your eyes to see, but the Bible says that he actually gave you the faith to believe it. And the moment you believed it, you were placed in Christ. Which means that everything that Jesus has from the Father now belongs to you. It has been given to you. You are secure in his Love, his acceptance, his perfection. Perfection is not something that you have to strive for anymore. You have been given as a free gift of his grace the perfection of Jesus himself. You are now free to enter the Sabbath rest of his love that scripture talks about. No longer having to work for it because his love for you has nothing to do with what you do for him It has absolutely everything to do with what he has done for you. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to die in our place. It's all based on his love towards us. First, when we were incapable of loving him even just a little bit, we were flawed, sinful, Guilty, incapable of doing anything good for God. And he says, in that moment, I love him. I love her. And I'm going to give my life for them. Because of that truth, I want you to hear this. There's nothing that you can do that would cause God to love you anymore. Most of us are good with that, praise God. But what we tend to have a hard time with is the next one. 
What that also means is that there is nothing that you can do that would make God love you any less. That's a hard one for some people to, to grasp. And I've told some to go, wait a minute, you can't say that. People are going to use that as just a license to sin. Hey, if you have a hard time grasping that kind of grace, go live under the law. Just go do it. Because if it doesn't kill you first, you'll eventually come back to grace. And what happens when we really believe that? I'm not talking about when it's just a Sunday school lesson that we are in intellectual agreement with and we believe it for others or a song that we sing on Sunday morning, what happens when that kind of truth gets hold of us and actually changes us and grabs us way down deep inside? Well, it dispels this first lie way down here that I am less loved. And when that lie is gone, the whole thing falls down. And everything that was hiding behind the wall goes scurrying away because it can't stand the light. Not only that, but something better is actually built in its place. Yes, I am flawed. But because of Jesus, I am so loved. I'm so loved. Because while I was yet a sinner, he died for me. And because he loves me in spite of all my flaws and failures, that means it is now safe for me to, instead of closing up, to open up. This next point, it's the last one in your notes under that diagram there. Listen, the more you know who God is and what he is really like, the more likely you are to admit who you really are and who you are really like. Once you really believe that, everybody stops wearing masks, coming to church with masks on, pretending that they're something that they're not, and they know it's safe to say who they really are. And then when you know that it's safe to open up, instead of feeling like you've always got to be more just to cover up your flaws, I can be me. And it's okay. I no longer have to worry about what everybody else thinks about me because I know what God thinks about me. And that's all that matters. And all this produces a different kind of life. Instead of living trying to be perfect, my life just results in living it as an act of worship. Which is what Paul started Romans 12 off with. Now some of you may be thinking, well, you just built another wall. No, let me show you what just happened here. Verse up on the screen, Psalm 18.2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. What we had before was a stronghold. This right here 
is a refuge. There's a big difference between the two. Satan's lies are going to keep coming at us, and when they do, we can take refuge behind this wall of truth that has been built on the gospel, understanding and believing who Jesus is and what he has done for you. We have exchanged speculation for revelation. I'm telling you right now, God so loves you. And he wants you to be able to see and receive that love for what it truly is. I'm about to pray for us. And after I do, we're going to have some time before we do communion together where it's going to be a time of ministry and a time for you to respond to something that God may be telling you. And I really believe, I mean, God would not have had me change the message that I intended to preach just for nothing. It's because he knew that there were going to be people in here that have been living behind that other wall that I showed you, that that are having a hard time fully receiving God's love for them. They believe it's true for others, but man, if they could just believe it for yourself. God wants wants to set you free from that, to tear down that stronghold in your life. There's going to be leaders of our church on these front rows We'll be more than happy to pray with you about that. It can only come from a revelation of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to pray that that happens. Could y'all join me in prayer right now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your revelation of truth. God, we, we wouldn't be able to exist without a revelation of truth. God, I can come up with all kinds of creative ways to communicate that truth, but Holy Spirit, you're the only ones that can cause us to get it, to really open our eyes to see it, and I'm begging you right now that you would do that in those that need to see this this morning. Lord, I pray that we would be so captivated by your love that it completely changes everything. Like I prayed earlier, Lord, I pray that somebody in here, this will be the day when everything changed. This will be the day that the scales fell off of their eyes, that the chains broke loose, that the wall came tumbling down. Oh, we need that. So Jesus, would you reveal yourself to someone in here in ways that they had never seen you before? Let your grace blow them away. In Jesus' name I pray.